Um, If you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 11 through 15. We're going to look specifically more closely on um, verses 14 and 15. So Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 15. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray, God, that um, that you would be glorified today. I pray that you would speak through me and that I would not get in the way of the message. I pray, God, that it would come with clarity and that your Holy Spirit would prepare hearts to receive this message, God, that that it would help us to conform to your, your will. It would help us change in a very practical way our lives, God, to line up with how you would have us to live that we could be helped, that we could be useful in the kingdom of God, Lord, that, um, that we would make our lives um, to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> the message today is it's one that I feel like God has placed on my heart for some time. So I hope that he grants me the ability to articulate it properly today. And I pray that he would help us to conform, that he would help us to learn, that this would not just be a sermon that you're going to hear, but it would be words that God has for us to apply in our lives um, as we grow and conform to his word. The message is kind of of three parts. It's, of, it's one of growing up, maturing it's one of becoming selfless and becoming Christ-like. So in verse 11, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Now, you guys know this. We could spend all day on what that is, all of those individual gifts, all of those individual offices, but that's not my point today. That is not what I'm going to do. It, we could. The, the focus today is going to be more on the purpose of these gifts than the gifts themselves. I think many times we spend way too much. We put way too much spotlight on those gifts. And first off, not enough spotlight on the gift giver, but also we don't put enough spotlight on the purpose. Of the gifts, and they all have a same, the similar purpose. All of those people that are mentioned here in Ephesians, the, the, their goal, their their job is the same. And so, when you look at verse twelve, you see that for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's the purpose for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, the edifying, the building up, the encouragement. Of the body of Christ. That's what every one of those that are spoke of in verse 11, that is the purpose. And the one thing that is clear throughout all of Scripture is that the gifts that God has given to His people are to be used for others. There is no gift given for you to edify yourself. Your gifts are to be used for the body of Christ. And that's what I want to look at today. And it's not just these specific gifts. It's all of your gifts. It's all of your talents. It's your abilities that are God-given. They're to be used 
in a selfless and sacrificial way. In fact, God's people are to care about others in a sacrificial way. That's a mark of a Christian, is to care about others in a sacrificial way. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. To one another. And that's important that we get that in our mindset. It's important that we get that in our hearts. And then then that way it moves into action, right? If you establish it in your heart, if you establish it in your mind, this is my purpose, then as you go forward it will move into action. Look at verse 13. Until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so that is the goal. How, what are we supposed to do with these gifts? We're to use them to help others. Okay, you can say that, but why? What is the point? How are we to help others? It's to come to the unity of the faith. It's to bring one another to the unity of faith. That's how we're to act. That's how we're to use our gifts within the body of Christ. As when we're within the body of Christ, everybody's our believers, right? We've all believed the gospel. We've all repented to a degree, turned around, and put our faith in Christ. But there's, I think you would agree, there's lots of different aspects of that. There's not a unity in the faith in the church of, in the church of Jesus Christ. And that is the purpose. That's why we come together. One of the main reasons we come together is to build one another up, to edify, to teach, to disciple, and bring one another along that we would be unified in the faith. And that unity is in Christ and Him alone. It's to see one another succeed. It's to see one another grow. And it's to see one another mature in Christ. And that's our desire. That's our desire as pastors. That's our desire as, as the that's always the desire of a more mature Christian is to see those that are younger in the faith to mature in Christ, to grow, to discover their gifts, and to see them use their gifts to help others. And now we get to verse 14 and 15. It says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning, cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. And so this is the part that I think we wanna, I want to focus in on, that we should no longer be children. And then, so it says very clear, we should no longer be children. And then it gives three distinct ways that we're instructed to not act like children. All right? So the first, we're not to be tossed around by every wind of doctrine. In order to not be tossed around by every wind of doctrine, that is going to require us to be knowledgeable about good doctrine. That's going to require us to be knowledgeable about the Word of God. And this is something that I believe anybody that's been coming here very long probably already has that desire or you wouldn't be here. Because we, we take this serious, right? We take the Word of God serious. We teach it. And I know that you members, you people that attend Sovereign Grace, take it serious too. You study it. But there's always more. We can always take another step. We can always dive deeper in. If you were here for equipping hour, um, if you weren't here, you missed it. It was a great just overview of the life of uh, John Bunyan. And I don't know about any of you that were here. I, don't, I doubt you left here going, yeah, I, pretty much, I, I think I've pretty much got it. Man, compared to that guy, Wow. Talk about convicting about how weak I am in theology, how weak I am in my amount of time that I spend in the Word of God, and how much more I could be seeking Christ through His Word. And that's what it's saying. We, if, if, and if we do that, then we won't be tossed around by every wind of doctrine. 
But when it says tossed by every wind of doctrine, it's to say that, that um, you have discernment, right? And there's a spiritual gift of discernment. Some people have a gift to just, it's, it's by the Holy Spirit that God gives them a, like a little bit of extra intuition to notice when things are off. But listen, every Christian should have discernment. Every Christian should pray for discernment. Every Christian should have discernment by studying God's Word. I've said this probably several times, but do you know how they train people to spot counterfeit money? They don't show them counterfeit money. All they do is study the real thing. And they know the real thing so well that when they find counterfeit, it just it jumps out at them. You can't study all the false doctrines that are out there. And you can't study every wind of doctrine that comes. But you can study the real thing enough to know that when something comes, you'll recognize, you'll, you'll recognize it. And sometimes you might see it immediately and be able to pinpoint the exact problem with it. Or sometimes it's just like, mm, something seems off at that. And you proceed with great caution and you tell, instruct others to proceed with great caution. That's what it means to not be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. But it is amazing to watch people jump on every new spiritual fad that comes around. And this is part of the thing that comes with age and experience. We've seen a bunch of them. I, I, I would start naming them, but I, I don't know. It's not necessary, but the first thing that comes along and everybody jumps on it, oh, look at this. And pretty soon, it just kind of fades out. You're like, what happened? It reminds me a lot of pyramid schemes. You guys ever, you ever known somebody? There's probably several of you that have been involved with pyramid things, right? All of us at one point, it just sounds great. You jump on it. After you've seen two or three of those things come and go, and somebody comes, hey, look, if you just... You just get four or five people under you. You're going to be driving a new car and vacate. And you go, yeah, I've heard it all before. That's the way some of these spiritual fads seem. Like, oh, if you'll just pray this, this special prayer here, you read this little book and you pray this prayer, then all your problems are going to go away. No, they won't. No. There is no easy solution, easy believism in Christianity. There is a constant study of God's word and a constant for the rest of your life working it out and sanctification to conform to God's word and those fads they come and go and and sometimes it's here's the thing it's not just maybe the fad it's it's sometimes when people hear things that are just cool or sometimes it, when something sounds unique oh wow never looked at it that way and and they jump on it but they don't test it according to the bible and what happens it wears out the promoter of this movement or this fad gets exposed as a fraud that's happened a lot of times the promises don't come to fruition and then on to the next wind of doctrine how many times have we heard the world was going to end at this time, and then it comes around and it doesn't end, and oh no, you know, and it just kind of keeps going round and round. And here's the thing that's, here's the warning that I have for you, for us, because we do have discernment. You, you have discernment. You, but don't think that just because it's not crazy sounding doesn't mean you can't get caught up in it. And don't think just because someone is reformed, right, that they don't get caught up in enjoying a platform. Or they start teaching things because they get a little bit caught up with how many views they get or how many likes they get or how many shares they get on social media. Or how many people that will gather to hear them or how many books they sell. Don't think just because they have been sound in their doctrine doesn't mean that other people can't get caught up in this. This is why we test everything. We test everything. 
sometimes the popular wind of doctrine that comes around is to criticize men who have a public platform. I've been, I've been slightly bothered by this um, recently, maybe more than recently, for years. It is, I mean, how many podcasts, blogs, whatever, YouTube channels are devoted to just calling out people that they don't know personally and their doctrine? There's a lot. And, and there, don't get me wrong, there is a time when we need to call out false doctrine. There is a time when we absolutely need to call out false doctrine. Teaching, but I don't think it's my job to call it out into the entire world in the masses. It's my job to call it out to you, as a congregation, as a pastor of this congregation. I am. It is. I am called to make warnings against false teachers. But it's not my job to criticize every pastor that's out there, and try to get as many YouTube followers as I can doing it. And it's real easy to jump on board when a group of people are bashing somebody who has otherwise been true to the Word of God and has made a mistake. And I praise God that I'm not on a platform that when I make a mistake, there's millions of people that know about it. You guys are pretty forgiving, and I'm thankful for that. Small groups, more forgiving. That's how family actually acts. You know, family forgive one another, even though mistakes are made. But there's a lot of guys out there that have been given a platform for whatever reason. Most, a lot of them didn't ask for it, and they make one mistake, and then they got thousands of people blasting them for that mistake. And that's not the scripture doesn't speak of that. The scripture speaks of coming alongside somebody and helping them along, and pointing it out in a brother in a loving way. So sometimes that's a popular, popular wind of doctrine in itself, right? And so my point in all of that is don't get caught up in these traps. Examine the Scripture tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. That's the first thing. The second thing is the trickery of men. We're not to fall for the trickery of men. When, when you look at the trickery of men, you look at false teachers in general, I think there's two types. I mean, there's a lot of different false teachings, but I think there's mainly two types of false teaching. The first are those that have been deceived, and the second is those that are willingly deceiving. And those that are deceived are sincere. Um, They're sincere in what they believe, and many times from a lack of diligent study of scriptures, or sometimes it's from a misunderstanding. They have been diligent in their studies. They have a misunderstanding of what they've studied. There's a lot of people out there that are misled by others before them. They've been discipled wrong. They have a bad hermeneutic. They don't understand properly how to study the Bible. Or it's just, in general, the, the current Christianity has, has the wrong view of certain things. It's very common. And so sometimes teachers are that. They're false teachers or they're teaching, maybe not completely false teachers, but they have some error, and it's just completely, it's really innocent ignorance that causes that. But I don't think that's what this statement is talking about. When it's talking about trickery of men in the context with every wind of doctrine, it's actually talking about the false teacher that knows What they're teaching is false, but they are profiting off of it in some way, so they teach it anyway. And this is where your faith healers, word of faith healers, or teachers, those come in. But it's not just them. Those are the easy targets, right? We can easily point those out. But it's not just them. This also includes, when it talks about trickery of men, it's not only talking about people that are standing at pulpits teaching false things. It's also talking about men and women who will manipulate scriptures and Christian principles for their advantage. 
And honestly, this is the one that would concern me for this congregation. This is the one that would concern me for, I would watch out for myself. These are the people that will take advantage of your Christian charity. They learn enough about Christian values that they will manipulate you that you will help them because it's your Christian duty. They'll take advantage of Christ's teachings to be selfless and they'll use you to do that. And sometimes you get caught into these things and they'll use you at the detriment of your other brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the trickery of men that scares me more for a congregation like this. I don't expect anybody to fall for Joel Osteen's trickery in here. I don't. I think, you, I think you have way more discernment than that. But I could see a world where somebody comes along and takes advantage of your hospitality and takes advantage of the good Christian morals and ethics that you have. So watch out for this. And, and here's the thing. I'll say this. Sometimes it's better to err on the side of helping people and look back and go, you know what? I did. My conscience was clear. I did what I felt God wanted me to do, and they took advantage. That's on them. That's between them and God. That, but it's also sometimes important that we call out and that we don't fall for that in order to expose them so that their soul could be saved as well. But so watch out for men and women who don't mind pointing out that you should be charitable, but you rarely see them giving of themselves to the body of Christ. It's important to notice. That doesn't mean you don't try to help people. It doesn't mean you don't try to help them. But there is a time when they need to be taught as well that it's not all take, 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 but it's also give. And if somebody isn't willing to give of themselves and to serve the body of Christ and to serve Christ, but they're not, they don't mind pointing out that you should, kind of a red flag of the trickery of men. And then the third thing it says, the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. A great benefit to knowing good theology, like we know, a great benefit to understanding man's depravity is that we understand that people are capable of this very thing. Cunning cunning craftiness is not surprising to somebody who understands depravity. Cunning craftiness is not surprising to to those of us, really shouldn't be surprising to any Christian because you know we were born sinners. And if you've been born again, you can look back on yourself and know what cunning craftiness looks like because you were probably cunning and crafty. Right? If nothing else, you were cunning and crafty and justifying your own sin. We're really good at that. So that's a benefit. Don't fall for these, device, these devices. Don't forget that it is not only man's plotting that we need to be aware of, but the cunning and craftiness of the enemy, of Satan, his minions. His demons, they're still at work. And this is a problem that I hope that we can address today. This is a problem because Satan, he is amazingly cunning and crafty and subtle. Man, you go back and you read. That's why it's, I think it's really important to study that first part of Genesis. Just the, the, when Satan comes in and, and deceives Eve... And, and gets Adam to sin and the subtleness and the craftiness that he used 7,000 years ago at the beginning, is he's, he's actually honed it, right? He's had a lot of practice since then at getting crafty and subtle and sneaky. And he crawls on his belly. And he's been, he's been working in our country. He's been working in our culture And he's been even working within, through the visible church for hundreds of years, destroying the family, 
destroying the sexes, right? The roles, the gender roles. He has absolutely made it a priority of his. But man, he slow played it. It it wasn't like he came in in the 40s and said, all right, men are going to start acting like women. Women are going to start acting like men. And you guys just do this. No, it wouldn't have worked. No, he slow, slow played it. Took generations, little things here and there. And you can go back through history and see, oh, wow, look at that TV show. It had a little, had a little subtlety there that started changing people's minds. Oh, here's this book that came in. It started creeping into the schools. It started creeping into the laws, the government. Little bit by little bit. And one of the things that I don't think we talk about enough is... One of the problems is not, we have the problems of the sexes. We have the problems of man, biblical manhood, biblical womanhood. And I thought that was kind of what I was going to talk about today. But it, it, God, I think, led me on a different path. And the problem that I see probably more as much as those is one of growing up. Biblical adulthood for both men and women. Biblical Christian maturity. Verse 15 says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Grow up, that we may grow up in all things. Do you realize that adolescence is not in the Bible? I can't find the idea of adolescence in the Scriptures. And here's the slow play. We've had adolescence for a long time. I don't really know when that showed up, when, at what point we started considering these teenagers as kind of like an in-between from children to adults, right? But now, today's time, it used to be from about probably 14 to 18, 19. That was kind of the adolescent period where you were just kind of, you were, weren't a child anymore, but you weren't really an adult. In biblical times, the scriptures point at a 14-year-old as a, as a grown man. It's time, to, it's time to grow up, start working when you're 14, right? A lot of difference. Well, the adolescent period now has changed from about 14 to, I don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows at what time you're supposed to be an adult. And as I watch young men and women struggle to grow up, I can see the plot from Satan as he's been manipulating mankind for decades in this. We have a problem with growing up in our culture. Have you guys heard the term adulting? Yeah, adulting. I've heard it a bunch. Um, it wasn't invented until 2008, the term adulting, and it was made popular, I think, in 2014 in some movie or something. But now you hear it a lot. Here's, here's the definition. It's actually been given a definition in the dictionary, or the online dictionary. Nobody uses those real ones anymore. But the definition is, the practice of behaving in a way characteristic of a responsible adult especially the accomplishment of mundane but necessary tasks. So I hear a lot of 20-somethings, 30-somethings even, talk about, yeah, I'm adulting today. Some of the older people are in here are looking at me like I'm crazy, I think, because they probably haven't heard it. Yeah, I'm adulting, which means I'm doing laundry. Or, yeah, I have to do my bills. I'm adulting. Well, what's the problem with that? The problem with it is it's said as a temporary action. I'm 25 years old and I'm going to go adult for a little bit. And then I'm going to go back to acting like a child. I'm 30 years old and I'm doing some adulting today. But tomorrow, back to the good old times of being childlike. But Paul says here that we may grow up in all things. 
It used to be normal everyday life for adults to just act like adults. There wasn't a term adulting. But somewhere along the way, adulting became something temporary for adults. Another term that's been used a lot lately, I don't know if you've heard this one, it's called the Peter Pan Syndrome. Anybody heard that one? Yeah, Peter Pan Syndrome. Talking about young adults that refuse to grow up. There's lots of interesting things if you want to Google up Peter Pan Syndrome. A lot of, see, what's crazy now is the secular culture is noticing this is a problem. And yet I don't feel like we've addressed it enough as a church. I don't think the church, the church has not gotten in front of this because it's the same issues within the visible church that's with in the secular world. But there's plenty of articles by USA Today and Yahoo and there's been TV shows and magazines write about this Peter Pan syndrome. Here's, here's um, three or four of the, the main things that they say Peter Pan syndrome has. Avoiding responsibilities, depending on others to make decisions. Trouble taking criticism from others. And I see this. 20 years of teaching high school, I've seen such a huge change in this exact area, even in high school students. Because it used to be that whenever the the goal of high school was to make kids pretty much responsible adults by the time they were 18 and graduated, and you're ready to go out. Okay, you're going to go to college, but when you go to college, you're going to live on your own at least to a point, you're probably going to have a job. Most, most, when I went to college, most everybody had jobs, and we lived in pretty rough places because it was cheap. Man, I drive to Stillwater now, and these kids are living better than I am. I don't understand how. Tuition hasn't gotten any cheaper. I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But avoiding responsibilities... And I've noticed this. It's, it's a trend of people will turn down better jobs because they don't want the responsibility of that better job. Now, listen, we have to have balance. I don't want to get off in one ditch and, and get out of it and get into the other ditch. Okay, there is a very real issue of having a job that is over working you and not and taking away from time with your family and and all of those things that is a real thing it's always been an issue and it always will be an issue but i don't think it is the issue today i think we have a much bigger issue of somebody wanting a mundane job that doesn't have any responsibilities because they want to get off at 3:30 and go home and play video games rather than work until 6 and actually have a job that makes a difference in the world And actually have a job that can improve their lot in life and provide better for their family and make it to where they don't have to struggle from day to day. I've noticed that. I've noticed they don't want to take certain jobs. And sometimes the reason they want is because they want more time to do their childish things. And and I've heard the excuse is, "I, I just don't have time. For a job like that. And my, my, my question is, really? Really? You, you have all this, you just don't have time to put in two extra hours a day? What is it that you do? And this is my, I've counseled many people to do this. Go home, go for a day, go for a week, and take a time uh, log all your time and what you do. You would be surprised and I would be surprised on how much time I actually waste. Yeah. You know, when I was in Boy Scouts, we would do backpacking. And um, anytime we were going to go on a big, long backpacking trip, we called them 50-milers. We'd do 50 miles of backpacking or or a long backpacking trip, and the Jollies aren't here. They love to backpack, so they would definitely understand this. What we would do the week before, we were required to pack our entire pack, because you're going to go 50 miles, that's like seven days. You're, you're walking a lot, or five to seven days, maybe 10 miles a day. 
And you're carrying all of your food, all of your clothes, everything for that time on your back. We would, we would show up a week before with our pack exactly the way we were going to take it. We would strap it on, and we were required to walk around for about two hours. Then, after that, we would come together. We would shake out. They call it a shakedown. We'd shake out everything in our pack, and here we have a pile. And they would go, all right, now take everything out that you don't need. Yeah, I, don't, I, I mean, after walking for a couple hours carrying this, all of a sudden, there's some things that you realize, I don't have to have that. You went with the minimum, the minimum necessities only. Why? Because you're carrying this on your back, and you're climbing up mountains. And you're going, I mean, it's, it was a lot of work. And so it was a great way to remove the baggage. I think we need to do that with our time. I think we need to, to just lay it out, and if you look at it written down and you say, wow, I spent four hours on Facebook. Now listen, I'm guilty of this wasteful time as well. This is not me preaching to you. This is me preaching to us. But I have a feeling that all of us probably have wasted time. If we were to shake it out and go, wow, I really don't need that. I really don't need this. Whatever it is. And that's part of growing up. Replacing those empty things. And I'm not saying none of that is okay. I'm just saying how much balance it out. Replacing those with things that are more responsible. With things that are more glorifying to God. Right? Things that will help you to avoid being tossed in every wind of doctrine. Or maybe things that can be selfless and help others in the body of Christ. Or just to help your family, to help your wife, to help your husband. How much time could we spend in better things like that? The second thing that they give is it depends, part of the Peter Pan syndrome is depending on others to make decisions. And it's important to understand there's a difference between godly counsel, getting advice, and wanting somebody else to make decisions for you. Part of the reason that women won't follow their husband a lot of times is because the husband won't make a decision. I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm not saying you won't make mistakes. But here's what you do, Christian, when it comes to making hard decisions. Think through the decision carefully. Get some advice if it's, a, if it's a very tough decision. Look in the scriptures to see if there's something specific that might help you. And then make the decision. And honor that decision. Stay with it. Own it. Whether it's good or bad, you, I mean, you, anybody that's been on this earth long enough knows you're going to make decisions and they're going to turn out bad. And God is going to redeem those, and he's going to use it for his glory. You want to try to avoid making those bad decisions, but once you make it, honor the decision, stay with it, whether good or bad. But number one, as part of growing up, is stop being afraid. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Stop being afraid. Don't be afraid to walk out. Don't be afraid to try something new. Don't be afraid to go into something that you've never done before or something that you feel a little bit uncomfortable with. They can't eat you. Trust in God. Has He not, has he not granted you salvation? Has he not granted you eternal life? Has he not granted you a mind to know the scriptures? Has he not given us the scriptures? And yet we walk around like we're scared of something? We have a great father. And there is no need for fear. For fear of life or death. The third thing they give is trouble, trouble-taking criticism from others. 
Proverbs 15.31 says, The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise, but he who disdains instruction despises his own soul. But he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. In other words, if you listen to others' criticism, you'll be among the wise, and you will become wiser. But if you don't listen, and here's, here's something that just absolutely drives me nuts. Don't ask somebody their opinion if you don't want to hear it. Stop fishing for compliments unless you want to hear the truth. You'll get compliments, and you'll get the truth that sometimes it might be not good. You might need to improve. If you really want to know, ask somebody. Ask godly men. Ask godly women what they think about what you're doing. What do you think about how this went, how that went? I said this to my husband. What do you think? We watched Fireproof the other day. It's been a long time since we've watched that. If you haven't seen there's probably people that have not seen it in here. It's so old. But it's a great movie. It has some really, really good um, principles in it. And there's one. There's this one point where this this the wife in the movie was flirting a lot with a coworker, with her doctor friend. And there's this godly woman in her life, and they hadn't talked a lot lately. Pulling away, and they sit down to eat lunch, and. The, the godly lady, and she's an older lady, and she talks and she speaks to her, and she says, you know, if that doctor is trying to pull you away from your husband, what do you, what, what do you think makes her, what, what will stop him from doing that later when he's with you, you know? Basically, he's doing it now, he's going to do it again. This is not a morally upright thing to do. And she got all mad, and, they, you know, I think this conversation's over and all of that. Kind of the same thing, right? If it is a true friend, if it is a true brother, if it is a true sister, they're going to speak the truth in love. And it, and it might be hard to take. But if you want to be godly, if you want to grow in wisdom, if you want to grow in Christ, then you need to receive that. And that's part of being an adult. That's part of growing up. You can receive criticism. You can talk to a lot of people in any industry in in business, and they'll tell you one of the main things that employers are looking for is somebody that is trainable, coachable. They're not just constantly wanting pats on the back, but they're willing to take criticism, and they're willing to look at self-examine and improve their situation. We need to be that in our jobs. We need to be that in our marriages. We need to be that in our parenthood. We need to be that in our Christianity, in our walk with Christ. We need to grow up and be able to take criticism. And then the final one they mention is failing to follow through on responsibilities. And that is a, that is a major problem. You talk to somebody trying to hire an employee right now, their number one requirement is that they'll show up. Hey, if they'll show up, that's a whole lot better than the last five I've hired. I hear it over and over again. It's like, man, they'll show up. They'll show up on time, sober. That's always a plus. <laughs> but failing to follow through on responsibilities. And here's, here's, here's something else. So I know there's a, we have a lot of different um, age groups in here. And you may be 40 years old and be going, well, I need to grow up, as I do on occasion. But also, there's many in here that have children that are out of young age and coming into that adolescent, quote, adolescent age. Find ways to teach your children how to work and how to be responsible. There's a lot of different ways you can do it. I, I was, I, when I was preparing for this, I listened to an interview with Paul Washer. And he talked about how he was raised on a farm. And they raised Charlotte cattle and quarter horses. And he said being tough was not a problem. You had to be tough or die. And I can understand that. 
But he said, my kids were raised by a preacher. We didn't have Charlie cattle. And so what did he do? He had a fireplace, and he required his sons especially to cut wood. Why? So that they would know how to work hard. Which, by the way, cutting wood, clearing brush, that kind of thing, if you want to teach kids how to work, that's about the best thing you can do. Because it is hard work, and there's always something to do, and there's no excuse. No matter how big or how little they are, they can grab little sticks, they can grab big sticks. But he talked about another guy that he knew that would stack. Uh, he, he bought a pallet full of concrete blocks. And when they got in trouble, he had an empty pallet. Here's your job, kids. Move those concrete blocks from there to there. And as they got older, the pallets got... It teaches kids, and I'm a fan of that, because it teaches kids how to work. It might teach them that sometimes your hands hurt when you're doing it, especially young men. If you're raising young men, teach them to work. Because sometimes your hands are going to hurt and you need to keep working. And sometimes you may, not, you may have a headache and you need to go through your responsibilities anyway. Moms understand this better than anybody. They never get a break. But there's times we just need, we, we have got to, as a Christian culture, we've got to become, we've got to grow up. We've got to become adults. We've got to become responsible, and we have to teach our children to be responsible. 1 Corinthians 13.11, let's just turn over there. First Corinthians 13.11 says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And it is time for a lot of us, a lot of Christians, to put away childish things. I don't know what they are in your life, but I have a pretty good idea what drives you to them, and that's selfishness. And this is where I want to, I, I want to just, this final section here. The key to Christian maturity. What is our example to Christian maturity? It's not me. It's not Randy. It's Christ. It's Christ. That's our example. He is our example. You know, to be, and to be honest, I'm tired of hearing the excuses of I didn't have a good home life. I didn't have a dad, I didn't have a mom, I didn't have parents, and that's unfortunate, and we need to work with those people as much as we can, but to lean on it and to continue with it as a crutch is actually getting old, and here's why, because if you're a Christian, you have a father, you have an example, you no longer have this excuse of, I didn't have a father. That's like the adopted kid that was adopted at whatever age, and he comes in, well, I don't know how to act. I don't have a father. Yes, you do. He adopted you. He took you in as, your, as his own, and he gave you an example. He sent his son to live among us, to give us an example of how to be, and the number one thing was selflessness. How did he live? Completely selfless. He gave of himself. And he gave of himself. And he continued to give of himself until there was nothing left to give. All the way to the cross. Completely selfless. And that's how we're to be. And that's why we have to grow up. That's why we have to mature in Christ. It's so that we can point others to Him. It's so that we can realize our spiritual gifts. It's so that you can realize what God has called you to be. Look at the greatest commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is likened to it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And you cannot do this if you are refusing to grow up. 
You cannot do this if you are too afraid to make decisions. You cannot do this if you are constantly depending on others to get you through life. And this is why you strive for excellence in your life. And whatever it is that you do, you strive for excellence. If your marriage is strong, you can bless other people's marriages. If your marriage is weak, you can't. If you are a strong husband, you can disciple others to become a strong husband. If you're a strong single man, if you're a strong single woman, then you can bless others with that. If your finances are strong, guess what? You can bless others who need help. That's why I don't think it's wrong to want to improve your lot in life. It's not wrong to improve your business, to improve your job, to take more responsibilities, to earn more pay. It all depends on what your heart's desire is. But if you make more money, then guess what? You can give more money to the kingdom of God. You can help those that are in need. If your theology is strong, you can bless others with that discipleship, with teaching them of the word of God. But you can do none of this if you don't grow up. And so it's time. It's time to think about it. It's time to look at it. It's time to examine ourselves and find What area of my life am I weak in? What area of my life do I need to mature in? What area of Christianity in my walk with Christ do I need to mature in? And I feel like we will. I feel like we will. I I feel like this group wants to. I feel like we want to take steps in Christ and move forward in Him and grow farther in Him. And so I'll close with Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God. I thank you, Lord, for your conviction through your word. And I pray, God, that for me personally... I would work in this area. I would strive to do better. I would strive to have better stewardship over my time, over my money, that I would grow up. I would mature in Christ, Lord, and I pray that for each one who's here, that we would all mature individually and as a group, as a congregation, we would mature in Christ, that we would be better equipped to represent you. We would be better equipped to spread the kingdom because of that. In Jesus' name, amen.